you're listening to the Extensive Reading Podcast, uh, where we take an intensive look at extensive reading. These are, this is our 11th episode, and uh, well, my name is Jose, and uh, with me is... Travis, a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, How, how's everything going? Travis? Good, pretty good here. We had a week off while we allowed you to move. Yeah, yeah, we moved to a new house, and it's crazy. Uh, been really, really busy these days, <laughs> and I, I'm still, I still am. There's boxes, uh, cardboard boxes everywhere, yeah. and yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to disappear anytime soon. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, so, well, in spite of that, you're here, and uh, we're recording. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, thank you. Jose. <laughs> uh, no, thanks to you. Um, very happy to be here. I can't complain. So, yeah, and uh, we'd like to get to it pretty quickly. We have um, part two of our interview with Nick Bullard. We know you've been eagerly awaiting uh the the second part of second that part so. of that interview the first part was so you. thank you for waiting so. while while we allowed jose to move we appreciate you <laughs> you patient listener out there uh yeah let me say something before we start with the uh interview of course there's some news there's a um fifth uh extensive reading world congress uh in the oven <laughs> in uh, the oven <laughs> And there's a place where it's going to be. It's going to be in Taiwan. Okay. Uh, so if you... Did you have any plans for August 9th to 12th? August 9th to 12th. 2019. 19, 2019. So that's not even next year. That's in two years. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So from August 9th to 12th, uh, 2019 in Feng Chia University in Taichung, Taiwan. I'd like to go back to Taiwan, so that might be a good excuse. Yeah. That's it's a wonderful country, so... Nice weather, nice food. Ah, in August, I imagine it'll be pretty... <laughs> I've been there once, and it was in November, and I really appreciate the weather. Yeah, I was the there weather. in <laughs> March, so nice. and it, was, it wasn't too bad, so... <laughs> and the food was great. Yeah, so... Start planning now. Yep. <laughs> I, I certainly will. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, we're back after our week break, and we're going to finish the second part of our interview with Nick Bullard, who's a longtime editor of Graded Readers for Oxford University Press. And not only? Yeah. Not only does he edit for Oxford University Press, but he's done other, other uh, publishing companies as well. Um, but he is an adapter, and he's adapted a number of uh, classic texts for Graded Readers. So Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. 39 Steps. Yeah and the card and some others yeah and we heard a, a bit about that last week and uh today yeah we have some names yeah well do you know the implications of trying to adapt graham green uh capote or george Orwell? <laughs> because our guest does yeah and so. he tells us about uh them in this part of the interview Great. And he also gets into more about just writing graded readers in general, about headwords and a lot of different is issues surrounding that. So that's it. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Which, which level is the hardest to write? Would it be starters? It, it depends on the person who's writing. 
okay, mm. then f- for you? Uh, I think actually for me it's the higher levels mm-hmm. because there's too much freedom. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, whereas, you know, I know some very fine adapters who can't work effectively below level four, you know, who have to work at those higher levels. Um, uh, f- for me, I think it's easier at, at, at the lower level. Starter is very challenging. Um, I think most pe- for most people, starter is challenging. But I can think of one or two people who are more comfortable with that than, than other levels. Um, so it is, you know, for, for me, yeah, I'm more comfortable around the sort of middle one, two, three, four um, levels. Um, but I think different people are very different. Sure. Different question. Uh, shouldn't the adapter's name be on the cover alongside the author's name? <laughs> Um, very possibly, yeah. Um, and very possibly that would, um, that would make it less likely, as has sometimes happened, that somebody picks up an adaptation thinking they're picking up the original mm-hmm. and then get it home and discover that this isn't what they wanted at all. Um, so I think, but. The problem is that the, the, the publisher is trying to make the book look like a real book. So you've got that sort of, you know, how, how visible do you make it? This is an adaptation. Uh, how apparent do you want to make it to adaptation? Because the, the student doesn't want to sit there on the train with this uh, thing saying, this is an adaption, adaptation for foreign learners and it's easy. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, I, I don't, ever recollect an adapter saying to me i ought to be on the cover um uh but i i think they should be very prominent on the title page what i'm thinking is uh i have read a number of graded readers and i know the style of some of the authors of graded readers like uh, say Antoinette moses who mm-hmm. we interviewed or uh, sue leather or julian tomlinson and as a student, I, I'm just thinking, say, for example, I like um, Antoinette's books. So mm-hmm. if it happened that she adapted books, then it would be harder to find uh, her books. So say, maybe I would like to read a book not because some famous author wrote it, but because there's an adapter who I know, or there's a graded reader, graded reader author who I know I can read comfortably. But, but I would hope that if Antoinette was going to adapt Dickens, yep. for example, that it would be Dickens, not Antoinette. Mm. Okay, so you don't think... Uh, I, I, would, I would hope that it, you wouldn't be able to see Antoinette coming through the Dickens, if you like. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be... If, if, that, if that were the case, then I think that would be a, a sort of failing in the... Okay. Uh, Adaptation. It, it, it's a it's a bit like uh, translation is like that as well. Mm. It's interesting how I keep harking back to translation. Um, you know, sure there are some very fine translators out there, but what they're doing is being very self-effacing. 
because they're allowing the original to come through. Um, so, uh, and actually translators are, are equally very poorly recognized. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, on the, I mean, they're very often not even on the, they're very often not on the title page of books, translators. Um, so I, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that that is what you should be doing is looking for books that somebody has adapted because I don't think they should show, they would show the features of that person's work. I'm sure if you asked Antoinette, she would say, well, I wouldn't want to do that because I'm my author. Sure. Uh, you know, I don't want to reflect some other author. It's kind of hypothetical. It, 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 doesn't, it hasn't happened to me. I've, I was thinking of originals and then the thought yeah. came to my head. Yeah. 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 Um, Good. But I, I think know. I think if you do a search on a famous online publishing, a famous online bookstore, they will tell they will also find the adapters. I think I won't give the name of a famous online bookstore, but we all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think you you key in uh, an adapter's name and you will get you, you'll the titles that they adapted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of my students. At the library yeah. or in class yeah. where all the yeah. graded readers are displayed, yeah. it's easier yeah. to find yeah. originals by the same author, but not so much when it's uh, uh, adapted yeah. Uh, yeah. stories. So come 2020 and Travis decides to adapt Animal Farm. Yeah, I'm or, adapting uh, Orwell. Comets <laughs> to Catalonia. Uh, yeah. What would your advice be for my friend? Um... Well, I, I guess I guess the advice is to to get into tu- get in touch with publishers who might be thinking of doing those adaptations, of publishing those adaptations. Because if if I was, um, you know, as I I am not at the moment managing a in house a major list of, of readers, uh, but if I were, I would already be thinking about. George Orwell, mm-hmm. um, because we would want you would want that to appear at the beginning of twenty twenty one, which probably means you'd want to give your adapter a year to do the work, uh, and it would take you a year to put the title through from the adaptation coming in to, to publication. So you'd be looking at starting work on that, you know, in at the end of 2018 or beginning of 2019, that's not very far away. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 12 months. Um, and uh, you might already have your adapters lined up, you know, because you've got your stable of, of adapters. Um, and you might already be talking to them, or they might already have talked to you. Mm. On the other hand, you might not have thought about it. So, you know, now would be the time to say, had you realized that, you know, let me remind you that all work <laughs> well, is going out. The cat know. is out of the and bag. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've revealed the Orwell's... Uh... Well, I, I kind of think, I, I kind of hope that the people who are in-house in publishers who look after these things yeah. have noticed that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, it's far enough away that you could just remind them. Um, <laughs> so I think I think that would be, um, I mean, it is incredibly hard, I think, 
for um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of people who would like to get involved in adaptation or in writing original graded readers. Um, and there are only so many publishers and they only publish so many titles a year. And they are, you know, likely to bet on people they've already worked with before. Um, you know, it was very significant when I was involved in, in launching a, a new series of original stories. You know, one of the people I went to was Antoinette Moses um, because I knew she could do it. Um, uh, and so, so there is a tendency of publishers to go back to the same people. But actually, a lot of the adapters that, that, that you see involved in publishing now are getting quite old. And I suspect there isn't a new wave of people coming through. Um, and actually, publishers should be working very hard to develop a new stable of original authors or adapters. Because I think a lot of the experienced, tried and tested people in that area are now, you know, they're, they're not working anymore or they're wanting to stop working. Um, so I think now is a good time to talk to, to publishers, but you have to be persistent um, and you have to try and establish a relationship with, with the, the publisher. And you have to accept that they're calling the shots. It's their series. They want their series to be coherent. They know where the holes are in their series that they want plugged. Um, and, you know, so it's much more to the point to go to them with a, either with a, a general brief, say, look, I'm interested in doing some adaptation. I'd quite like to do some George Orwell because I understand he's going out of copyright. Um, uh, and that may sort of push out an idea of them, oh, no, we don't want to do that yet, but there's H.G. Wells and there's all that stuff. And that's sort of similar science fiction-y mm -hmm. material. So, um, so I think, uh, I think that's, that, that's the way to go about it and not to go with a specific project. Mm -hmm. Because in fact, of course, what happens is people go with very specific projects, which are in copyright. You know, oh, I, you know, I think it would be terrific to do Graham Greene. Uh, well, sorry, but Graham Greene's not available. You know the year, right? <laughs> oh, it's far too recent. <laughs> <laughs> or Agatha Christie. Sure, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you're... Um, uh, Graham Greene lived to a ripe old age. <laughs> I can't remember when he died. So I, I know that I'm not going to be around when he goes out of copyright. Um, or retired already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that, that, so, you know, it, it's no good going with that specific idea unless it's, you know, you're very clear, like this person is going out of copyright, let's get in now. Um, or, you know, that there's some true story that you feel could be told and hasn't been told. Uh, I can remember always being on the lookout great true stories the elephant man 
which was one mm-hmm. of the first titles published in Bookworms, was hugely successful and still is hugely popular. Um, and I was always looking for another elephant man. Mm. But I don't know what that means. You know, It's not kind of elephant man two or son of elephant man. But that's kind of what you're, uh, what you're always looking for is those great stories and the great true stories. I think there are still a lot out there that haven't been, haven't been told and stories that have a narrative thread. Certainly. So they're, they're true stories, but you can read them uh, like they're fiction. I'm, I'm just wondering if you, if you tried to adapt uh, Capote's um, In Cold, In Cold Blood, Blood. Yes. Would it be, could you claim that you're just telling the truth story and bypass uh, Capote <laughs> altogether? Well, yeah, but in, in Cold Blood is very fictional, according to most people who studied that case. Okay. You know, none of what, what he says no, happened. None of that happened. <laughs> particularly what he did. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, but I, I do take your point. Yes, I, I think I think you could sometimes bypass mm-hmm. those incidents. You could say, "Oh, somebody's been very successful writing about a, a particular um, uh, event," and you could recreate that event. Would it, would it but be I suppose a... the Elephant Man, which wasn't isn't an adaptation of a book; it's an adaptation of a whole series of original. Um, documents um, but of course there was a film yep. of the elephant man um, but that wasn't used in writing the elephant man mm. um, but the fact that that film existed helped I think people to, to yeah. the initial launch of the elephant man it, it became possible to uh, to hang on to that film and to, to use that as as um, uh, because it was out there as common knowledge. The Phantom of the Opera is similar from that point of view. Everybody's, you know, the the musical is so popular. Um, you didn't have to get permission to use the musical because the story itself is so old that it's out of copyright. Um, would, would it be a good idea to adapt um, authors that are not, not well known? Like... Say if I, the other, I, I, I don't know. About a month ago, I read a short story that was written in the 1910s by a not very well known author. But this, I'm thinking this story is pretty good. Uh, would this work at all, or would it be rejected outright? Well, I would hope it wouldn't be rejected outright. I, it would depend on the story, mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, you know, if I think of the very successful titles that I've I've known about, you know, The Elephant Man had nothing. It it it, it had a, a not particularly well known film. Um and that was it. That was the only sort of you know, the only thing that anybody knew about it. Yeah, so some people in the UK probably knew that film, but I don't think it had a very global distribution. If you look at uh, another title that was more recent, that was also very successful, Rabbit Proof Fence, 
once again, based on uh, that was an adaptation of an existing story, but it was also there was also a film, but that film again was not particularly well known. Um, what was good about Rabbit Proof Fence is that it has a universality. So you might think, oh, a story about uh, three Aboriginal girls in the 1930s in Australia escaping from an institution, mm -hmm. traveling thousands of miles home um, across the desert. What's that got to do with me? You know, and I think some teachers probably thought that mm. and then discovered that uh, the kids were loving the story because it had, you know, they could understand what, what these kids were going through. Sure, they'd never been to Australia. Sure, they weren't Aboriginal. Sure, you know, all those, that doesn't matter. Mm. Um, so, you know, if, if, if your story is going to appeal to the readers, then it doesn't matter where it comes from. But, you know, with all my years of uh, publishing graded readers, I'm still not quite sure what that magic bullet is. Because <laughs> you get it wrong as well. Yeah. You know, you have some successes, but you have some failures. I mean, the great thing about a graded re reader series is you can afford to have some failures. You can take a few risks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they may come off, because you're publishing 10 titles a year. If one isn't a success, it's not the end of the world. But if you knew it wasn't going to be a success, you wouldn't publish it. But you don't know. Um, well, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking we, 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 we have kept you for a really long time. We're at an hour right that's now. A, that's probably my fault. <laughs> no, no, no. That's... It's been wonderful. No, it's been great. Uh, the only thing is that we haven't really talked about the job as an editor. Yeah, we would still like to cover an editor's job. And, uh, and I would like to hear more about uh, bookworm, bookworms and dominoes and how, uh, as you said, dominoes filled some gaps that were not covered by bookworms. Mm. But mm. at the same time, I'm not sure that I want to have you there <laughs> for much longer. Well, I, I think I think the, the, the editor's job is... We, we have touched a lot on it, actually, because okay. it's to do with selecting, it's to do with having a coherent series. Um, so that's one level of job. And the other thing is, you know, getting the stories in, getting the adaptations in, getting the original, the, 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 the factual texts in, and ensuring that they fit within the guidelines that, that exist. So, you know, you're backing up what the author is doing. Um, and ensuring that you are getting across, you're, you're, you're converting their story into something that is publishable, handling things like illustrations, mm. or there may be photo research, you may have film stills, um, uh, getting the right cover, um, uh, getting a promotional strategy so that the book is isn't launched into nothing. Um, so it, it's quite a wide-ranging role. Um, of course, the most interesting part is working with the text. Ah. 
well. I'm not sure, actually. Choosing covers is great fun as well. <laughs> um, yeah, and thank uh, you. Thank you for um, the files that you sent us just mm. uh, the other day. Uh, just being able to see like work in progress like that, I thought was really was really interesting and something I'd never really seen before. I had read through um, the James Bond titles, and yeah, it was cool yeah. to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 process of you know, I mean, particular illustration, mm-hmm. you know, you could spend as much money on the illustrations and the cover as you did on the text. Wow. A bit embarrassing, but when you think about it, it's not that surprising. Um, you know, there's a lot of work drawing those pictures. Um, you may have quite expensive photographs that you're going to use on the cover. So, you know, there's a huge investment in the visual side of, of, of publishing. Could you tell us a bit about? Um... You mentioned one part is is making sure that the text fits in with like the language constraints. Um, how, like for example, head words like headword lists. Could you tell us about how like these lists are created, or or even grammar yeah. grading? How well, a publisher. Both, both of those things. I mean, all the grading information comes from what happens in course books. Hmm. So, you know, there's a general agreement, if you like, between course book authors um, of what, what vocabulary and what structures are introduced at level one. Mm-hmm. Not entirely, but, you know, you begin with a simple present. You know, all course books do that. Um, well, funnily enough, when I started teaching, they all started by introducing the present progressive. Um, and, uh, so there is a, you know, and, and there's a rough idea of how, to how many years of study you would move on to things like the simple past or the, you know, the future perfect continuous will come in quite late. Um, so, so you, 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 you do that by analyzing existing course books because the, 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 the reader is not supposed to be teaching the student anything. It's supposed to be allowing them to use the language that they've already learned. So you, 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 you analyze what, is, what happens in, in course books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens with grammar, and that happens with vocabulary. It's, very, it's fairly straightforward at the lower levels, because everybody teaches dog and cat and mother and you know, school and, uh, at level one. It's not so clear what happens at you know, upper intermediate. Um, that becomes more problematic, but even so, there is a, a general consistency on 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 that. So, so the the guidelines parasite, if you like, on what students are learning from other sources. Um, you did ask me about the difference between dominoes and bookworms. Um, I will just answer that one. Um, I talked about how we define bookworms. What that meant is that bookworms didn't do it for a number of people. Mm. Uh, They didn't do it for people who wanted color, particularly at higher levels. Um, And there are cultures which are more comfortable with color 
than others. I mean, there are cultural differences there. They they didn't do it for people who wanted a glossary on the page rather than at the back of the book. And they didn't do it for people who wanted activities integrated into the reading rather than relegated to the back of the book because actually we're not very interested in activities in bookworms. We're interested in the story. You know, that's that's what they were. So I, I think those three things were all points that for certain users of bookworms were not were not um, ideal. I, I remember being in a classroom in Japan before we launched Domino's and talking to a teacher who was using bookworms and who was reading a page a week with his students. I think a page a week. It might have been a page a day, but it was stopping at the end of the page, you know, whether or not there was a, <laughs> any punctuation there. Um, and I thought, you know, this this is not a great experience for the students or the teacher. Um, so maybe we need materials that chunk the reading a bit more um, to, to make that sort of approach a little bit more accessible. Um, so it, it was definitely looking at, at, at teachers or classes that were, were using bookworms, kind of not how they were intended to be used. Um, and it is you are moving a bit away from extensive reading with a series um, But there are a lot of people out there for whom that is what extensive reading is. Mm. So, you know, that, that was the sort of compromise that, that we were playing out with Domino's. Um, let me go back to the guidelines uh, concerning headwords and grammar. Uh, those guidelines from publishers are available to writers, but they're kind of they're kind of secretive uh, for for the general public. Maybe in the case of bookworms, it's very clear or it's relatively clear at the back of the book. There's a specification for each level. There's a there's a little bit of this, but with other publishers, we don't even know the number of headwords per per level for for each level. And I'm just thinking maybe for teachers in general, it would be good if those guidelines were public. So I was just curious about this. Yeah, I, there are two reasons, I think, why they're not. Um, the, the, the first reason um, is that a lot of work and money went into creation of those guidelines. Um, and so you don't want to make them to, available to another publisher who might be your competitor. Um, I can remember uh, one of the authors that I talked to, talk, talking, to about, talking about this with, with an author who was writing a, a reader for another publisher who had just moved into publishing graded readers. Um, and he said, can you send me the guidelines? And he said, but you've got the Oxford Bookworms guidelines, just use those. So he had another publisher who was making use of the Oxford Bookworms guideline, which oh, they were they they could go to adapt because adapters had them. Um, you know, I don't know. I think in this case the guy said, "Well, no, I'm not prepared to do that." 
Mm-hmm. I'm not prepared to use these guidelines because they're, you know, they're, I know that they belong to Oxford University Press. Right. Um, so that that's one reason is simply, you know, commercial secret. It's a bit like Coca-Cola not telling you what's in their magic formula. Um, I don't think the guidelines are as valuable as Coca-Cola's magic. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for for that. Thanks for your answers. That was really yeah. interesting. And I think we, we, we learned a lot uh, that otherwise we wouldn't have learned. <laughs> yeah, you've provided. Well, thank you for your questions, which I think encapsulate the sort of questions that many teachers and indeed students out there have about graded readers. Well, yeah, we appreciate Thanks again. That. We appreciate that. Thanks, Nick. That was great. And thanks, Antoinette, for setting us up with Nick. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was excellent. Yeah, um, thank you again, Nick. We really appreciate you giving the time, uh, quite a bit of time to to talk with us and yeah. give us a lot of great information there. So, Yeah, the answers were way better than the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, this was an exciting, exciting part of my week last week. We got a comment. And we appreciate it. <laughs> we got a comment by Anonymous. <laughs> and not, not the guys with the mask. <laughs> no, no, not the uh, the hackers, no. This is an anonymous comment left on our... Uh, ninth episode. Yeah, so on our ninth episode on our, Word, on our WordPress. So if you're interested in leaving a comment, just a quick note, we are at www.erpodcast.wordpress.com. Feel free to leave a comment. Or send us an email. <laughs> or send us an email. Why are you speaking so low? No. <laughs> yeah, or you can send us an email. Uh, but here we had a, a question, actually, that I think we, we hopefully addressed there in the second part of our interview with Nick, was just um, for people interested in publishing a graded reader, how exactly do we go about it? And I think, uh, uh, yes, in the interview, there's a lot of insight on that, but also we left some links... Uh, in the first part of mm-hmm. the um, last episode, the first part of the interview with, with Nick, we left some links and there's one by Nicola Prentice um, where she, she she's a teacher and she decided to write a, a graded reader and she shares her experience uh, with the publisher and that could give you an idea, a very, very good, good idea of the process. There's also some uh, some more, well, well, in the other links you can see um, uh, Richard McAndrews' post and that was very illustrative too. So yeah, and sometimes some, it takes so it takes. Yeah, some don't years say that to, because they they will be discouraged. But don't it. give up. Uh, as uh, Nick pointed out, a lot of these uh, adapters and authors are getting older, so it may be time for uh, uh, a changing of the guard. And so, it might be your um, chance. Yeah, to, and yeah. and going off with just I think with our interview with um, Antoinette Moses of just finding some characters, finding a story and and fleshing out something really interesting and I think I think you can do it. I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hurry though if you want to if you want to adapt Animal Farm. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be doing that. Don't worry about that. But uh the de- yeah, the time is coming soon. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so 
Anything else? So, uh, looking looking ahead, we don't have anything specifically scheduled for next week, but we'll we'll be sure to yeah, we'll bring f- you with an episode. Yeah, we'll figure something. Bring out. an yeah. episode to you. So, if you have any comments or questions, again, we are at erpodcast.wordpress.com, or th- if you'd like to email us, that's exrpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and if you have any recommendations or people you think we should talk to, or if you think you want to be, you should be you, interviewed. Yeah. yeah. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. So we can arrange that. Yeah. And that'll do for today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. Oh, no, thanks. Travis. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, dear listener. We'll uh... say the ears thing. We'll continue to grace your ears. <laughs> we'll continue to grace your ears next week. So uh, until then. Yeah. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.